Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. Chumbacasino.com has over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Forward, prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. You're listening to the Red Wave Report, the official free podcast for thebarkboard.com. Your one-stop shop for all your Fresno State recruiting news. The thoughts and opinions are that of the show hosts and in no way reflect the thoughts and opinions of the university. Welcome back, everyone, to another edition of the Red Wave Report. I am Lucio Rique, and being joined by the publisher of thebarkboard.com, Mr. Jackson Moore. Jackson, how are you doing today? I'm doing well, Lucio. Uh, recovering a little bit from my trip uh, to Minnesota, which... Didn't go as, as well as I had hoped, but uh, it was still a good time, and uh, back at the grind this week. You still suffering from that jet lag? <laughs> oh, well, I was up so late, it felt like I was on the West Coast anyway, so. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I mean, Jackson was able to make that trip over to Minnesota, and let's just say that game, it, it, you know, for a lack of a better term, it was kind of a snore fest, if, <laughs> if I, if I want to be correct about it i mean i i had a hard time watching that one some people like those type of games uh, the defensive ones back and forth for me i find them kind of boring and just put me to sleep so <laughs> how did it feel to be there in in live at in, during the action yeah well I, I got to go on the sideline for the pregame which is always cool just the atmosphere everyone's excited players are excited the underdogs well they weren't underdogs but <laughs> whenever you're fresno state and you go to a big big 10 stadium you've give a little extra juice so you could see it in the players and then i went up to the press box for the game and yeah that first half was pretty rough um <laughs> you know minnesota they had the one scoring drive and then it just seemed like from there they were just bound determined to run the clock after every play and they weren't very aggressive so and fresno state's defense after that first score they shaped up pretty well and they were not letting minnesota get downfield and you get so that side was a little not the most exciting to watch, and then of course when the ball was in Fresno State's hand, they just couldn't figure out what to do with it, and they were not moving the ball. So uh, the first half was it was uh, yeah not the most exciting and kind of uh, frustrating as to see the Bulldogs struggling on offense and maybe kind of felt like they were going to some of the same concepts a few times that weren't working, and that was frustrating. Uh, third quarter was a lot of the same until Tank Kelly forced a fumble, and then. The last 17 minutes were a rush. <laughs> Everything was exciting. <laughs> so I uh, got, got the bang for your buck if you stuck around for the last uh, quarter plus. Did you get a feeling that uh, Minnesota, um, because they were struggling themselves, they were just afraid that Fresno State was going to wake up and just started going on a scoring spree? Was that the reason why they you felt that they were kind of running out the clock every time they had a possession? I felt that way. Um, it felt like from the start, uh, Minnesota just wanted to make this game as short as possible you have less possessions and the chances the the margin of error slims down a lot and every time fresno state didn't convert and minnesota was able to run that clock it just made it tougher and tougher for when fresno state finally did wake up and start moving the ball then opportunities were limited and they had to convert on all three of those last drives and they almost did it they were one play away uh, but again, if if you can run the clock and and put the other team in a position like that, it's so difficult to have to convert a hundred percent at the end. And uh, Minnesota effectively put the game away by the way that they managed the clock for the first three quarters. In my mind, yeah, it just seemed like the Minnesota Gophers just kept trying to just keep that clock running. They were they were more afraid of what Fresno State was capable of doing than them trying to go and actually score points themselves there for a while. <laughs> and it just made it for a lackluster type of a game. It just it was slow developing. Um, and then then once you started getting those refs involved with reviewing plays every so often, it really slowed down the, the process of the game. And it really worked into uh, uh, to Minnesota's favor because Fresno State likes to have that fi- fast te- tempo type of a game, uh, but Minnesota was was really able to just kind of slow things down and 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 put it in their court. Well, you know, playing at home, they're able to do that kind of a thing. 
and you know you you were able to kind of go in there and take it all in what was your your experience of of just being there in minnesota what you know what type of experience did you have there yeah it was cool because um you know, it is a big city. They've got every professional team for every league. And actually, the, the first night I got in there on Friday, I caught a Minnesota Twins game, which, you know, they're not in the playoff hunt, and neither were their opponents, the Kansas City Royals. But uh, it's a nice stadium. Um, the uh, Metrodome, which housed the Twins, Vikings, and Gophers, was eliminated within the last decade. And so all three of those teams got new stadiums. So, I mean, nice, brand-new stadiums everywhere you look. Um, downtown was really nice. Um, Saturday spent the morning touring campus and a lot of really old, uh, really neat architecture buildings. Um, the basketball arena is like this big brick rectangular field house looking <laughs> thing. And they have a hockey arena across from there because they can play hockey there in Minnesota too. Uh, for the the Gophers, and that was pretty nice looking. The stadium was built in 2010. It sits about 50,000. Uh, so the stadium was real nice. Press box was state of the art. I mean, real nice everywhere you looked. And uh, Sunday, I caught the Mall of America before I <laughs> went home. So that was kind of a neat experience. And that's kind of a bucket list item. Yeah. The Mall of America. <laughs> I think the the team actually was there Friday. They had some time to kill, so they. They uh, got to check that out, too. Um, but uh, as far as the game day, the actual environment goes, I spent some time just walking around the stadium, um, saw all the Gopher fans line up as the team got off the bus. That was pretty cool. It was a big showing for that. Uh, tailgating was you know, not as great as I've seen at other schools, <laughs> maybe like Washington last year, but it uh, was nice. Uh, a lot of customized vehicles whether it be fire trucks or ambulances or buses all decked out in minnesota stuff so that's pretty cool um there's some bulldog fans out there as well some guys with the uh, viking helmets with a stuffed gopher sticking out of the horn <laughs> so, i mean it was a pretty cool environment uh minnesota itself uh, the stadium was not full but the fans that were there were really engaged and had that big 10 element there just wasn't as many of them as you see at most of those programs now in as far as the bulldog faithful was there you know some sort of a representation of fans there i know i know you mentioned something but it was it really a big fan base that traveled? There was a, an okay amount. I mean, the one thing about it was that they were kind of split up, so there wasn't as much of a, a group. Like, I know when the Bulldogs were at UCLA 10 years ago, they were all jammed in that end zone that you couldn't <laughs> miss them, and the, even though there was more elsewhere in the other end zone and stuff. But uh, there in Minnesota, there was a group uh, right up front, and there was another group kind of – in the typical visitor section, which is further away from the field. So probably say a few hundred, which is not bad for Fresno going to Minnesota. Not bad to, to travel all the way across uh, across the country. Yeah, that's that's actually a pretty good, decent showing. Uh, Bulldog fans are probably were, were kind of picking and choosing which ones they were going to go to, and uh, probably majority of them are going to be going this week uh, <laughs> to UCLA. So we can expect a big crowd there. Um, but before we do that, before we dive into to UCLA, we're going to go ahead and we've got to talk about that last play, that last trick play that that almost happened but didn't quite happen. What's your overall thought on that one, Jackson? Yeah, that's been a, a big topic on uh, the Barkboard Forum. Uh, a lot of discourse <laughs> about that play, whether it was the right move, whether you would take the ball out of Marcus McMarion's hands in that situation. Uh, whether the timing was right, it was first down, there was 90 seconds left. So there's been a lot of discussion. I think first and foremost, uh, as it doesn't sound right to say the way the outcome came out, but the play worked. Uh, you look at Josh Hokett and he's got the ball, and Jared Rice is so far wide open in the back of the end zone. And Coach Tedford said after the game that they had witnessed how aggressive Minnesota was playing, how the secondary was coming up, and they knew as long as Minnesota kept doing what they had all game, it was going to be there, and it was there. And it just – Josh got pressured, Josh Hokett, as he was getting rid of the ball, so it floated. And there was one Minnesota defensive back who caught Rice in the corner of his eye and got back there, jumped up, grabbed the ball, got a toe down. I mean, the one thing that was going to stop that play happened, which is really unfortunate. Now, I'm more than open to uh, to take 
criticism on the play call as far as the timing goes because I'm not so certain Minnesota couldn't have got within the 50-yard field goal range that their kicker was booting them from within 90 seconds and make that play meaningless <laughs> and lose by three points. I, I think that very well could have happened. Um, probably might have been a little easier to just kind of pound the ball up the middle and hope you get in the end zone, run some clock out, go to overtime. But, um, you know, I don't fault Fresno State for the call. Um, I do worry about what, what might have happened after with the time that was on the clock, though. Yeah, I, I think it. I, I agree with you. It was a little too early to to run that play. They could have run at least one play before that one, maybe two, uh, and just used that one for the third down. Uh, especially if they were getting closer to the to the line, then then the defense would be thinking run, and and then that would have worked a little bit better. Um, my my concern was it kind of looked like Rice kind of underestimated that defender uh who was a lot shorter than him but was able to get up and get to a higher point than rice could have rice done a little bit more to get to that ball you know i've i've seen that criticism a lot as well on the boards and even on our our facebook post of the recap because uh one of those photographers from usa today has rice kind of it's a picture of rice looking at winfield catching the ball minnesota's defensive back who intercepted it and uh a lot of people were wondering, you know, why didn't, why couldn't he have maybe played a little more defense in that situation? Uh, from what it looked like to me, I've tried to, to study it a little bit, and I know when I watched it in person, when Hokit got rid of the ball, it should have gotten there a lot faster. Yeah, it, <laughs> it floated for a long time, and I think Rice he saw the ball getting released, and he saw the trajectory of it going up. And he was getting ready to jump. And you can see kind of when Winfield's coming back, Rice is, I believe, actually airborne. So he's kind of – he's in the air, so there's not much he can do as far as defense goes. And then his mind's saying, wait a minute, why is this ball taking so long to get here? And kind of processing it. And then before you know it, the Winfield comes out of nowhere <laughs> and picks it off. So I think had uh, uh, had the ball been thrown – I mean, it's not Josh's fault uh, – he was pressured. He's off his back foot. But if it was faster, it's right in Hoka's hand or in Rice's hands, and it's a touchdown. And um, had it developed that way, then perhaps Hoka wouldn't have had, or excuse me, Rice wouldn't have had to jump and and be off balance, and maybe could have defended it. Okay, so here's my other question. Uh, uh, now we've seen that play from Hoka a few times now, uh, where he's thrown that, and in each time it's been successful. Is the word out? Is the secret out now that when Hokett has the ball, there's a potential that he's going to throw it? Why not use another running back in the same type of situation where they're not expecting it? That could be the case. Uh, Coach Tedford's argument was that each time they've run that play, they've done it out of a different formation. So it's not like I know maybe the the stereotypical one would be like if you have a running back out of the backfield and you pitch it to him and then he throws it. That's kind of usually how it goes where it's like a a sweep reverse kind of thing, which looks a little more like, oh, shoot, trick play, here it comes, where uh, they've done a good job of when they do it with Hokit, it looks like a regular play, and then all of a sudden he cocks back that arm and there's a receiver downfield. And uh, Hokit has also, um, I believe he played a little bit of quarterback in high school, um, at least uh, he's got more of a background with his arm compared to the the rest of the group. It just to me, it seems like I've seen that play before. I've, <laughs> I've when Hokit has that ball, the, there's an opportunity that he might throw it, and I, you know, other def, other teams are probably keying in on that already. And why not take a chance on a different running back, maybe trying it, even if they don't have the same type of experience. They got to learn sometime, <laughs> and um, so I don't know. It seems like it seemed like Minnesota as soon as they saw Hokit, and as soon as they saw his because he did kind of a hack, uh, half cock and kind of bring it down and then do it again. And by the time he did that, it was too late. The defense yeah. picked up on it. <laughs> uh, but uh, it's just something that um, it's a trick play that maybe. Needs to be kind of revised a little bit going into the future. I don't know. We'll we'll see what happens there with that one if they'll uh, allow Hokit to do it once more throughout the season. Because we, what we've noticed is once he's done it once, that they typically do it again at some point uh, during the season. I don't know. We'll see what happens there. But what what was your overall thoughts on Fresno State's offense going into this one? Yeah, I was disappointed. Uh, there's no other way to <laughs> to answer that question. Um, I thought the 
difference in this year's team to have the special season that many people thought, just more so with the schedule, because Minnesota is very beatable. As we saw, the Bulldogs didn't play well. They still almost won. UCLA is very beatable. The rest of the conference is very beatable. Boise State on the road is the toughest game on the schedule by far, and they almost beat them in December last year with a lot of the same players for both teams. So I don't think it was unreasonable to think if things went the right way, the Bulldogs could run the table. And I thought the difference would be even if the defense took a minor step back with new defensive linemen and a change of defensive coordinator, that the offense was going to just take this huge step forward because uh, Marcus McMarion came in late into August last year. He had to learn the playbook. Like every week was kind of starting off fresh with a new game plan and, and him having to catch up. And now he had all this offseason. They bring in new weapons like Micaiah Quick, uh, Cam Sutton at tight end, who we've seen a little bit from, Romello Harris, even if they haven't gotten to him a whole lot yet. Um, I mean, they just didn't lose a lot of players. There was a little concern on the O-line, but otherwise it seemed like this team had the recipe to take a huge step forward, not put the burden on the defense to win games like they did last year at times, but that's exactly what happened. And, um, you know, it was just a whole combination of things. They weren't running the ball very well. They weren't throwing it very well. Marcus McMarion made a few mistakes early. Um, There were not a whole lot of deep threats and the ones that were were just tiny bit off there was a pass to jameer jordan early that he dove for and just didn't get um it was just a a real struggle and if the bulldogs would have just scored once in that first half they might come away with a win um secondly uh just the fact that even when they did start to kind of get things going um they had to settle for the field position game they were putting the burden back on the defense to keep pinning Minnesota deep in their territory, giving the offense the ball back around the 50 several times and not being able to convert. That was uh, frustrating to watch. Um, but once they started going vertical with the passing game, uh, maybe, maybe it wouldn't have happened without that fumble that the Bulldogs got and scored on in the third quarter. But it seemed like from that point on, the team was a lot more aggressive. The play calling they ran worked a lot better. And perhaps if they can bottle that up and take it to UCLA in the rest of the season, we see the offense that I expected to see this year. Um, but at the end of the day, the offense, it didn't look better than last year. It looked like it regressed a little bit in my mind with the whole 60 minutes. Um, and this was another opportunity where the Bulldogs had a chance to win the game on offense and came up short, not to criticize them, but it happened last year at Boise. They had a chance to go win it at the end, and there was an interception. UNLV at home last year, uh, they had the ball three times in the fourth quarter and went turnover on downs all three times before losing to the Rebels. So I need to see this team execute better against good defenses, and I need to see them convert at the end of games when needed, or else I just don't see the step forward we were hoping, and they may be faced with some more difficult finishes to games down this season. We do know that this it's not going to be any easier this upcoming week. Uh, we're, now is going to be the test. We're going to see just where this offense is um, moving in into this next week. Uh, it, you know, a couple of things though that are, are kind of that I, I kind of keyed in on. One, well, the one that I, I keyed on was Jameer Jordan. He's really not being used much this year. Is there something going on there? Uh, an injury or just he hasn't really been the old Jameer Jordan uh, that we were used to he, the one that could just break it on any given moment but he's not being used or utilized very much what, what's the story there you know I I looked at the stats from last season in preparation of this season and I was shocked by Jameer's reception total and I believe it was 27 which I'm going to double check that while we're talking <laughs> um, which means he was only catching about two passes a game last year which seems like what I mean that guy was all over the place last it year. Right? Like it seemed like his name was always being called. Now all of a sudden it's not. So I, I'm wondering what's so, going on there. So yeah, uh, 27 receptions for Jameer Jordan last year, but he took those for 562 yards. <laughs> that makes a difference. 20.8 yards a catch. Yeah, and that I think it, I know it led the Mountain West, and if not the nation, it was up there. Um, so Jameer is a guy that's not going to catch the ball a ton. But when he does, it's going to be big. And so, unfortunately, against Minnesota, that one I mentioned earlier, that was his big 
big play of the night, then it just Marcus and him were off by about half a yard. Uh, so I think eventually Jordan's going to break some plays open. There's also, uh, well, we anticipated that the targets would be harder to come by because the Bulldogs added in Micaiah Quick. They brought back Delvon Hardaway. Jared Rice has been more involved since Jordan was making all those plays earlier last year. Uh, so I thought it would be uh, distributed a little more evenly. Um, but we haven't seen Hardaway utilized a whole lot. Um Keyshawn has been making quite a few receptions, but um, I think Jordan is just not going to be a volume guy. And when he does catch it, he'll make some some sparks eventually. It just seems like uh, you know that was that was the one play that you were saying that was his one opportunity to make it big. Mm-hmm. And you know, even though they were off just a little bit, you know, some of the fans can argue the ball hit him in the hands. He's got to make that catch. Mm-hmm. It was there. Yeah. I mean, and, and they needed it. Nothing was working. <laughs> he had every opportunity to bring that one in. I mean, not even the defender had an angle on it. He was the only one who touched that ball. He could have brought it in. Had he brought it in, it could have changed the complexity of this whole game. I mean, just the whole outlook of, of where the game ended up. Oh, yeah. He would have caught that well within field goal range. So I would have anticipated the Bulldogs would have scored at some point. Yeah, so it, it could have made a big, big difference uh, in that game. But, it you know, it is what it is. He ended up not bringing it in. Um, so, you know, we, we can't. We can't fault the guy. He had that opportunity. If had it been just a little bit sharper, he would have brought it in. Mm. But you know, I hit him in the hands. Got to make those pressure catches. Uh, next, though, we're gonna we're gonna talk. What's your overall opinion on how the defense did? They held their own and they kept this Minnesota team pretty much in check throughout the whole game. I mean, what do you think? Yeah, I was impressed by the defense. Um, obviously. Not to take away from Fresno State's defense, but Minnesota's defense was outperforming them relative to the Bulldogs' struggling on offense. It felt like both teams were kind of doing some similar things, and that Fresno State's offense was developing plays slower, and Minnesota's defense was quicker to react. So I thought, I mean, clearly by the score in the first three quarters, I felt like uh, the favored was towards Minnesota. But when just watching the Bulldogs' defense, aside from that, I know the back seven was doing their job as we expected. Even when Jaron Bryant got hurt, Waylon Free came in and uh, didn't skip a beat at cornerback. So, no problems by me in the back seven. Uh, not a b- bunch of big plays for Minnesota in the passing game. The ones that were were broken plays, and it's hard to fault them. Um, no, but the big question was the defensive line: <laughs> who was going to step up? How big were they going to step up? Yeah, and they've faced some criticism on the boards too that I've seen. Um, I spent a lot of time watching them. Uh, more so because you just knew Minnesota wasn't going to throw deep. Whatever, wherever the action was going to be, was going to be up front. And uh, even when they passed, it seemed like you know, a lot of times the Bulldogs only rushed four. And even if two guys were getting stuffed, the other two were causing problems. And I think, not to be someone that harps on the officiating, but I think there could have been quite a few more holds called, especially <laughs> with with how I was I was kind of locked in. And I know Jasad Haynes really got. Should have been in the backfield probably a few more times than he was. And there was a couple of times where he had to flail his arms up in the air because he was getting held so bad. And those those calls were made. They, they got the flags on those ones. But um, it just seemed like Minnesota's offensive line was a lot bigger and that the, the holds or not holds were being hidden a little bit more <laughs> because of the size difference. Um, but in the run game, the, I mean – you can't say anything bad about them. They held their own. Michael Walker had nine tackles from the end position. Really liked his game. I really liked Jasad Haynes. Um, Kevin Atkins was a little quiet, but um, I think those three are really good. Emeka Endo didn't – I think when they look in the film room, they're going to see some things he can fix up. Uh, but he did manage to create some trouble off the edge a few times. So uh, overall – I was really happy with the defensive performance. It made me confident going into UCLA that uh, they're not going to give up the big plays that Chip Kelly is going to try to create. And as far as the rest of the conference goes, um, except for maybe Hawaii and Boise State right now because those two teams are scoring like crazy, uh, I don't see a whole lot of success coming from opposing offenses this year. And, uh, again, all that means is Fresno State's offense needs to take that next step. And uh, we could be looking at a you know at least a 10-win type season that – was kind of the floor of what we hoped for going into this year. But um, I, I came away from Minnesota seeing enough there. But 
they've got to do it for a whole lot longer than what they did as a, as a whole team. Now, you know what they say about holding all the time. If you're not holding, you're not trying. Yeah. And Minnesota obviously was they trying. Were trying. <laughs> <laughs> um, and so that it being at home, you got to think that some of those calls are going Minnesota's way because they're playing at home. And mm. it's just it's just the fact of the matter. Even though when Fresno plays at home, it seems like the refs are still calling <laughs> the calls against them. So, yep. it really doesn't make a difference. So <laughs> <laughs> but I mean, that's just another discussion for another day. Uh, one that we could probably spend a whole podcast on, but we're not gonna we're not gonna do that. Um, but you know, it did show that they were they were doing what they could uh, as far as defensively. I mean, they did shut down a Big Ten opponent, which is not an easy feat to do since they love to pound the ball. Uh, but for some reason, Fresno State was able to kind of shut that down uh, and keep them in check for the most part. And they were on the field for 36 minutes. So. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So, I mean, even though they were on the field for quite a bit of time, they were still able to kind of just keep them from doing anything. Now, that's going to be a problem moving on during the season. If the Bulldogs are not able to get their defense off the field, hmm. there's going to be some problems. I mean, so this offense really needs to get it together, or you could see some really tired defenders out there um, and that could open them up to potential big injuries uh, if they keep doing that kind of a thing. But their next opponent, UCLA, you know they're going into this game now, heading to the um, to the Rose Bowl as a one point favorite over <laughs> UCLA over the Bruins, and I don't know, Jackson, do you agree with that? It did. It seemed like UCLA has had a couple of big moments so far uh, during the season, especially with their newcomers, uh, Kashmir Allen and and some of the other players that joined that team. And it, it, I don't know is is one point even realistic i mean one point's nothing mm. but to even be favored against ucla what do you think well for me the big thing i th- i think that what this line comes down to even with fresno state losing to minnesota i mean if if they win that game i think they're favored by a lot more here um the big one for me is the season opener that ucla had they invited cincinnati into town the bearcats and uh, Cincinnati was a team that went four and eight, I believe, last season. And Cincinnati came into their house and won by nine. Um, now UCLA put up, you know, they lost pretty heavily to Oklahoma, which looks like they could be the best team in the nation right now. <laughs> they are killing it. That's an aberration. Yeah. So you can't. You got to throw that one out. <laughs> yeah, but uh, you know, I think they played. I think UCLA played even better than people anticipated, even though it was forty nine twenty one. Um, but yeah, for me, if four and eight Cincinnati can come into town and beat UCLA across the country, Fresno State should be able to get on a bus, go three or four hours, <laughs> bring ten thousand fans, and get at least a one point win. I have, if they lose, it's going to be really tough to swallow. Even though it, this is going to be a tough matchup, you think only ten thousand fans? I, I, I mean, think at least. I'm just saying Cincinnati probably had the the couple hundred that Fresno took to Minnesota. With them. I think the last time the Bulldogs were there, there were more Bulldog fans yeah. than there were UCLA fans. So I don't know this one. Hmm. This one could be a red stadium before you know it. Um, but. but Let's not get ahead of ourselves there. Um, does does Fresno State have enough to to develop the offense against this UCLA team? Um, is the def- let's let's do it this way. Can you com- comparing defenses from what you know of UCLA and Minnesota? Which one do you think has the tougher defense? Well, I feel for me, it's it's not so much about the. Jimmy's and Joe's, it's about the X's and O's. Uh, <laughs> because UCLA, like Minnesota, you know, they're not, they, they are power five programs, but the, neither one of them went bowling last year. They're not spectacular teams by any means, but even that team at that level is going to have more talent across the board than Fresno State with what the recruiting, how, how it goes. Uh, now, Fresno State may have the better 22 starters. That's not out of the realm of possibility. It almost happened against Minnesota. Um, so as far as that goes, I think it's going to be pretty evenly matched as far as the talent. Um, but scheme-wise, I think Minnesota was a recipe for disaster because they did the same thing UNLV came to Fresno State and did. Uh, they did the same thing Wyoming <laughs> was able to do, even though the Bulldogs won that one. 
that Boise State did on the blue turf last year against the Bulldogs. Just give Fresno State trouble with their defense and do just the enough clock. to win. Yeah, do just enough to win. And uh, that was Minnesota in a nutshell. That's all they were trying to do was just get out of there with the W uh, as ugly as it was going to be. Now, UCLA, I know Chip Kelly is there and their offense hasn't quite reflected what he did at Oregon with the crazy up tempo, high flying offenses. But it's going to resemble something like that. It's going to be more spread to some degree than straight-up power offense Minnesota. And that's going to, in my mind, even out the time of possession more, keep Fresno State's defense off the field as much. And UCLA is, again, another team that's going to rely on the big chunk plays, the big breakaway plays. And I feel like Casimir Allen's like the only guy on that team that brings that element. <laughs> and they're not, I mean, as a true freshman, he's being involved, but not. he's not like Reggie Bush type carries. They're going to taper it with the true freshman. So uh, I don't think UCLA has the weapons to break the big plays against Fresno State. And I don't mean to uh, downgrade UCLA. I just think Fresno State's defense is legitimate. And um, one thing that they haven't done since Coach Tedford has got here is give up the big plays. And f- as far as as long as they keep that up, uh, I think they'll be able to hold UCLA. I mean, they may. I think they'll run more plays than Minnesota, but I don't know if they'll score as many points. Twenty-one, I think, is kind of about the max. I, I would expect the Bruins to score in this one. The big question just comes down to how much can Fresno State execute on offense, and can they outscore the Bruins in the end? Now, if you head into the fourth quarter and this game is close, who does that favor, Fresno State or UCLA? To me, it favors UCLA. Well, I guess it depends who's got the lead. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I'm I'm saying if it it was still like within 30 points, who does that favor? It's like I mentioned, and I I feel bad for lumping Minnesota in with those other games because it was an odd trick play situation, but again – we have this sample size to work with last year and this year, and this offense led by Marcus McMarion, which in most games is excellent and scores a lot of points. When they are down at the game on the line, they have turned the ball over at Minnesota and at Boise State, and they could not find an answer against UNLV. Um, so it's hard for me to have a whole lot of confidence if the offense has the ball down needing points and the crowd's loud, even if there are a lot of Fresno State fans there. <laughs> I'm not going to feel too confident about it. Um, but I am confident that they won't be in that position, and I, <laughs> I hope they don't have to. I think they're going to win it straight up and not have to have the offense make that kind of run down the stretch. Um, I just think this one matches up better for Fresno State to perform well for the whole 60 minutes and not have to make up in the last quarter like they did at Minnesota. Now, that being said, what do you expect the Bulldogs are going to come out and do right away? What are they going to try to establish in this game? Yeah, it's it's been it's tough. The offense is, it kind of mixes things up. Um, and you know, this last game against Minnesota, they went to the screen passes, the quick outs, a lot more than we've seen in past years. And some people are on the boards asking, is this a DeRuiter offense and all that kind of thing? And, <laughs> man, for the first half, they did a lot of the <laughs> some of those concepts, but that wasn't the whole game plan. Coach Tedford mentioned they only got 25 plays in the first half. I don't really like that as an excuse for why they didn't score, but they had a lot of concepts and plays that they just flat out didn't get to. They expected to have more opportunities in the first half, and finally when those plays got dialed up in the second half, they worked. So um, hopefully that happens a lot earlier against UCLA. Uh, I think they're going to try to attack the weaknesses, uh, keep a balanced offense like they usually do, um, and we'll just have to wait and see how it pans out, I guess. I kind of agree with you. It kind of felt like I went back in time and I was watching a DeRuiter coach team there for a little while. It just seemed like the same type of plays. And I was like, well, post-Derek Carr era. Uh, yeah. I mean, because we all know who called all the plays when Derek Carr was here. So it makes a big difference. So, um, But it, it did seem like they were just couldn't get out of their own way for some reason on this one. Um, but going into UCLA, things are going to have to click. Things are going to have to click early, and they're going to have to click often in order for uh, Fresno State to kind of 
kind of get their footing in this game and, and really pull off a victory. Um, but, you know, going back to your predictions on the fan base, you're, you're saying only 10,000? I'm, I'm, I'm saying at least 10,000. <laughs> I wouldn't be surprised if there was 30,000. Now, granted, that's how much showed up to the last home game. Yeah. But I have a feeling that people would rather travel to L.A. to watch the game than they would to even come watch them at home for some reason. <laughs> I don't know why. It just call me crazy, but I have a feeling there's going to be somewhere between twenty and 30,000 people uh, from Fresno down there. Um, so if that happens... Does this now become a home game for Fresno State versus UCLA? Uh, well, I'm uh, I'm gonna pull something up here. I got UCLA's attendance in 2008 um, when Fresno State went to Pasadena, uh-huh. and UCLA had a first year coach, and they were struggling, much like they were this year. They lost 59 to zero to BYU that season, and then by 20 to Arizona before Fresno State came to town. Um, you know, people kind of forget the Bulldogs were number twenty-five in the nation at that point last <laughs> and in that season, and uh, but they weren't ranked yet when they get when they went in there. Yeah, so there there was a little more buzz. Unfortunately, if Fresno State had beat Minnesota, I think you might see that extra five ten thousand fans on top to push you over the the top there. Um, but I, I think quite a few fans had this game checked in before the season, regardless of how the the first two games turned out. I'd say about 15,000 perhaps. Um, and a lot of people from Southern California that are Fresno State fans will probably <laughs> be there. And I know some of them even make the trip up to Fresno for your home game. So, um, but just looking uh, in that season, they hosted Arizona for 65,000 fans. Fresno State came to town the next week and the attendance bumped up to 74,000. And I'm sure a lot of Bruin fans that came for Arizona didn't come back for Fresno the next week. So uh, I think Arizona is going to see, or UCLA is going to see a pretty big bump in attendance. Uh, yeah, in 08, that was their uh, third best attended game of the season. And one of those that were ahead of them was USC. <laughs> so <laughs> Now, for some reason, I thought I read somewhere that the, the fan base from Fresno State that traveled to that game was right around 28,000 that went to that UCLA that season. So, if that's the case, this could very well turn into a uh, home game for Fresno State in Pasadena. I mean, <laughs> and it it would be great if that would have happened because then the bulldog uh, the bulldog team will will feed off of that, mm. just having a big crowd in in attendance and. It could very well turn out that way, especially uh, if they are able to kind of get things going early, then the Fresno State team or uh, fan base is just going to get that much more energetic throughout the game uh, if they aren't already pumped up to face a Pac-12 team uh, because Fresno State fans love it when they play the big boys, especially the Pac-12 teams. Uh, I mean, if you can remember back to when they went to USC, how many fans from Fresno mm-hmm. traveled to that one? Uh, it's unbelievable. So this one could turn out to be a very, very fun game to be at. I know Jackson and I, we're going to be there. We're going to we're going to try to hit up some of those tailgates. So mm-hmm. so, you know, if you guys see us walking around, feel free to, to invite us over and have something uh, from your tailgate. <laughs> Speaking of which, um, we do have one poster that's going to be organizing a tailgate. Okay. Um, the lot apparently opens at 1.30 p.m., so uh, that's going to be six hours before game time. Wow. Uh, you're going to be able to tailgate a lot longer than you would at Bulldog Stadium. Um, yeah, so uh, it's, it's going to be in the golf course parking area. Uh, and there will be a big bulldog flag. And uh, once it's all set up, we'll have uh, some directions on the Barkboard message board on where to go and how to get there. Well, we'll definitely have to keep an eye out on that one because I'll, I'll I'll be trying to track down Jackson once I arrive into town <laughs> and just seeing where, where to head over to. Um, but, um, you know, before, before we start kind of break, kind of uh, shut this one down, we've got to talk about some of the big stuff that happened. There was some injuries that have happened. You know, uh, and one of those was a pretty significant, I think, uh, injury. And what can you tell us about the injury report that we have heading into this UCLA game? Yeah, I think the most concerning thing in, against Minnesota, I mean, things weren't going very well, but the starting players that were dropping like flies, I mean, you felt like that was going to uh, 
kind of have ripples towards the rest of the season more so than the loss itself uh, if it was going to happen. Uh, fortunately, it looks like two of the guys are expected to be good to go this week. If not, they should be back by after the bye week. Uh, that's Micaiah Quick at starting receiver and uh, Jaron Bryant at cornerback. Those two guys um, didn't look too good <laughs> during the game. Uh, Quick went down with an ankle injury went back to the locker room. They taped it up real hard, and then he just got into to street clothes after that. Uh, Jaron Bryant came off the field with his arm dangling. It looked like a shoulder injury of some sort, and <laughs> the, the, it appears like it wasn't as uh, serious as it looked. But the big one is Natani Muti, who just exploded as a redshirt freshman last year, was probably the Bulldogs' best offensive lineman, and, uh, and looked like he was going to be again this year. He moved to left tackle from left guard, and that's a move that we hadn't quite seen come to fruition fully as far as what he could do there. But we're not going to find out either because he ruptured his Achilles. He's going to be out for the year. Uh, about 15 minutes after Coach Tedford announced that, I saw him walking across campus on a scooter with his leg propped up like Ronnie Rivers was doing in the spring. So, yeah, he's going to be out um, – this is an injury he suffered as a true freshman to his other leg. Um, so he's going to have a long rehab ahead of him, and he's going to be working with two legs that have both gone through this. So uh, fortunately, the only good thing you can take away is that uh, he should be eligible for a sixth year because of this. So Yeah, that's what I was going to ask yeah, you. Does, once, does that make him eligible for another medical redshirt? Yeah, he should be in the same situation Delvon Hardaway was. Um where he Hardaway redshirted, and then he, a new legislation gave him a sixth year. It made it a little easier. We've seen it in the past for some players, but uh, Hardaway got the the go ahead because of the new legislation, and should shape Muti up for if he comes back and he's healthy and he doesn't want to leave early for the pros at some point. <laughs> assuming he could be here till twenty twenty one. That's uh, unheard so. of. <laughs> we could be saying that name for quite some yeah. time. <laughs> oh, but yeah, that that his performance, pancaking Alabama defenders, will seem like such a distant memory <laughs> by his senior year. <laughs> oh, that's a that, and, and you know that's always it's good for the player because if they're not quite ready to make that jump into the NFL, or if they're not even. Uh, a candidate to make that jump to the NFL. It gives them another year to play the the game that they love to play. Um, and in Mute's uh, experience, I think he is a type of caliber player that could make that move to the next level and another year could benefit him just so that uh, he can get where he needs to be heading into the next level. Um, but that's not saying he's not going to be ready. I mean, he could choose not to stay. But offensive linemen usually have a harder time just landing somewhere, <laughs> uh, but we'll see what happens there. Any other significant injuries or anybody returning from injuries and coming into this game? Yeah, those are the big ones. Um, as you mentioned, Tedford said Bryant and Quick would be ready to go. I would kind of wait till game time to see if they actually do go for sure. Um, other than that, uh, Fresno State has been, I mean, there's been bumps and bruises, but nothing as significant as that. And uh, we're all keeping an eye on Ronnie Rivers every week at practice to see when and if he'll be ready to go. It seems like he's getting closer and closer, but um, I don't know if now is necessarily the time to send him out there, even if he was cleared. Yeah, I mean, uh, Rivers is is one of those that we've been keeping an eye on, and he he was in pads. He is practicing with the team. So it looks like, like you said, he's very close to returning, although there has not been an announcement as to when that's going to happen yet. And when we do get that announcement, you can you can read all about it uh, at our premium boards once we find out uh, when that's going to happen. Um, so keep an eye out for that. But other than that, it, it looks like they came out of this game okay. <laughs> A lot better than it felt going into the fourth <laughs> quarter where I was convinced Fresno State had three starters that were just done on game two. Like, oh my gosh, they lose to Minnesota and uh, what, 10% of the starting lineup, 15% of the starting lineup's gone. But. As you hear, I said, okay. Yeah. Muti's a big loss. Yeah, he's, um, he's big. He's going to be uh, a big one. But it could have been worse. <laughs> what what are the dogs going to do to kind of shift and and help you know cover that gap that he's going to leave there? Yeah, so that's I mean about the only 
positive you can take out of it is that last year he was a left guard. Christian Kronk was at left tackle. Those two guys flipped this year. They felt that was going to be the better situation. Uh, the offensive line seemed to do pretty good last year the way it was, but um, now Kronk can go back to left tackle. Uh, he hasn't <laughs> been practicing. Pretty sure he's so happy to do yeah, that. <laughs> he hasn't been practicing it all off season, but he has all of last year under his belt where he's going to be more comfortable there, I'm sure. And then uh, junior college transfer Nick Abs is the one who took over at left guard, and he was recruited as a tackle. I talked to him today at practice. He said he wasn't doing so hot at tackle, so they moved him to guard, and then boom, he's been doing real good. He became the, <laughs> like the the next lineman up if they needed, and they went to him in Minnesota when they had to. And uh, I mean, nothing against Muti or Quick or Bryant. But the team seemed to do best in the fourth quarter, just given circumstances. But that was with three different players plugged into those positions. So all we've been hyping in uh, fall camp was that this team has a lot of depth, and they proved it in that Minnesota game. And <laughs> they may have to keep proving it throughout the year. And they've got a lot of depth. They used to have a lot yeah. of depth. Now, now, now I'm not too, so sure anymore. The, these guys are going to start dropping like flies. Uh, but you know, does that give an opportunity to some of the newer guys that are that are in the program that there might end up seeing more playing time than they were expected to see now that Mute has gone down? Yeah, well, the the abs is a big one because. When they recruited him, they thought he was going to be it was going to be a two man competition between him and Cyrus Tuitelli for right tackle. But Tuitelli, I mean, he he kind of won the job in the spring before uh, Abs ever even got to campus. So now, what do we do with Abs now? Well, they moved him to guard and said, "Well, if something doesn't work out, we've got this real good guard ready to go." And that's how it happened. So um, those are the five guys they have right now, even without Muti, I think they're confident in. Uh, but again, now you, the next guys up are the ones you worry about. If another player goes down, who's going to step in? Um, there's a lot of of question marks behind there. Uh, Dante Bull might be the next guy up who has gained a little bit of a following on <laughs> Markford.com's message boards. Uh, he's a big, like six seven, three twenty <laughs> pound. He was a guy that played tight end in high school, played basketball. I mean, the guy who runs the way a man that size should not be able to. Uh, and he's only a redshirt freshman, but he really caught on in the last month. And uh, he when he's had to go in, well, he went in against Idaho <laughs> in the fourth quarter and knocked some guys around. So um, that's kind of, it looks like the next guy up. Um, the Bulldogs have, after that, kind of a mix of upperclassmen who haven't quite earned jobs at this point and underclassmen who are going to be the guys but haven't proven it yet. So someone from those two pools, if needed, is going to have to, to step in there. Now, I kind of I kind of feel responsible for that whole Dante Bull thing. I was one of the first to report on him, and uh, for some reason it is kind of stuck with a few people, you know, Harry included, um, as, as one of their favorites so far. And I, I think the only thing I actually said was, you know, he's a big boy. He's big and he's athletic, and people just love that. And so Bull is going to see playing time sooner rather than later. Uh, problem is, is there's a lot of good players ahead of him at the moment. And when he does get his his opportunity, I believe he's going to make an impact. <laughs> and uh, yeah, he's yeah. I kind of feel responsible a little bit for that one. <laughs> I, uh, last week I interviewed Bull, and we've got a story on the premium side. So if you haven't read that, go check that out. Um, it was really interesting. Um, He's from Canada. They're having trouble getting him in clearing-wise with the NCAA and just enrolling in general and with the scholarship limits. So right before the first game, he's already missed fall camp. He's not here yet. They tell him, all right, you're going to come in in January. So take the next few months, do what you need to do, and then come in ready to go. Three days later, they call him, hey, we've got a spot for you. Come to Fresno. <laughs> so Dante has to quit his job that he just picked up to save money. <laughs> pack his car up as much as he can and drive to Fresno within about a 48-hour notice from Canada. Wow. I forget exactly which part of Canada he's from. I think he's West Coast Canada. Um, um, yeah, I think so. <laughs> so, uh, yeah. And, um, you know, when he got here last year, 
it was clear he wasn't didn't think he was coming. He was out of shape. <laughs> I mean, a lot better shape than I'm in. But as far as football goes, he didn't look like he was ready to go by any means. And he has turned it on since then. He's figured it out, and a year in the weight room has he, paid off. He's lean and mean, man. <laughs> I mean, you know, the keys to success heading into this UCLA game. We're gonna call this Jackson's keys to success. What do the Bulldogs need to do in order to win uh, going into uh, Pasadena? Biggest thing for me is don't give up the big plays, which Fresno State has done a mighty fine job of over the last year in two games. Um, and the only one that scares me a little bit is Casimir Allen, just because he does have that electric speed. They won't have to run him into the ground. He'll, they'll pick and choose when to play him and look for that big play right when he's on the field. So um, fortunately, this is a really sound defense. We've seen it all last year through two games this year. They gave up one big touchdown to Idaho, but... Other than that, they've been really sound. Um, I don't think it'll be a problem. And as long as they do that, I don't think the Bruins score a lot of points and the Bulldogs' offense should be in it. And we'll see if they can take advantage. Now, one key to Kashmir Allen that I know is is something that uh, could could go a long way is if the Bulldogs can get in his head early. Um, Kashmir's I've seen this firsthand. He can sort of implode himself if you can get into his head and just and just get him out of his rhythm and it the bulldogs if they're able to do that then cashmere shouldn't be too much of a factor um however it's a matter of getting into his head is the different story because uh if he breaks one <laughs> watch out uh it turns out to be it works in his favor if he makes a big play um but th- that being said that's the UCLA game. I know you're not going to be just heading up there for the UCLA game as well. You're going to be going to go catch a high school game uh, Friday night. And where's that one being played? That one is... Yeah, that's going to be a cool one. It's going to be in Calabasas. Calabasas, right. Uh, it'll be a home game for Fresno State's 2020 quarterback commit, a three-star, Jaden Casey, who you know, is not all that far from being a four-star guy. He's one of Fresno State's better quarterback commits that they've ever had. And there's been a lot of good ones. <laughs> so we're going to get a first-hand look, see if he's the real deal, what he looks like. And, you know, it's still going to be two years till he comes to Fresno State. But, man, it gets you excited about the future of Fresno State at quarterback. And uh, he's also going to be at the UCLA game the next day. I heard him in an interview say, I'll probably be the only one in red, which is normally the, the case if you're a supporting the visiting team so hopefully the red wave comes out and he goes whoa man (laughs) and the other cool thing is this the reason i'll be there is because it's like 30 miles from the rose bowl so if you're going to ucla and you're going to be there friday already and you don't have anything to do that you've already planned head over to calabasas high school Wear your bulldog apparel. <laughs> Future bulldog. Yeah, I'd see, uh, make a, see if you make a, a bit of an imp- impression on him. And the other thing about it is that it's not just Casey. They've got a five-star receiver, Johnny Wilson, who's like 6'5", I believe, already. And he put out his top six schools. And along with you know the USC's and the big ones, Fresno State's on there, too. He's thinking about joining his uh, quarterback, Casey, at Fresno State. And... Um, We'll see if this weekend leaves an impression between their home game that some Fresno State fans might be at, and then both of them going to the Rose Bowl. If the Fresno State fans show out and the Bulldogs beat the Bruins, it could really have a a good impact in trying to seal the deal here. Yeah, and what makes me nervous is that he's a 2020 commit. Yeah. There's still a long way to go. <laughs> True. Uh, especially if the big boys start calling mm. a lot more often and – the the only thing is, is that we can only hope that the uh, you know Fresno stays on them. And do you think just because Bulldogs are heading to UCLA for that game, that they might some of the coaches might make a stop to go uh, check out uh, check out their future quarterback uh, in this process? Can they do that, or is that kind of counts as one of their recruiting trips? Count, they, I believe they have a limited amount of games they can attend, but. Uh, if they why, can, why not take yeah. the opportunity while you're there already? <laughs> exactly. Save on the trip and gas. Uh-huh. <laughs> why not? Uh-huh. So it's 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 something that uh, is it one of those games where you bring the whole coaching staff out <laughs> and, and put a full court press just to kind of show the love to the quarterback and the wide receiver who's actually thinking on committing. <laughs> is it something that the Bulldogs might want to do here? 
It could be, but I know Coach Tedford, and he's real strict on his timing of how the team travels and approaches game day, and that's part of the process. Is I believe they'll be going up there Friday, and I'm sure he's going to be on it like a hawk as far as <laughs> what the what the team has to do to get the win on Saturday. But uh, I wouldn't be surprised if at least one of the assistants is able to sneak out and and uh, take care of that for him. So they, you know, <laughs> he, he's he's kind of worried that if the cat's away, the mice will play, kind of a <laughs> that, thing, right? That could be the case. <laughs> <laughs> but you know, it, it you never know. I mean, and so if you have the opportunity to head out to that game, we highly recommend it. Jackson's going to be there. Uh, I believe Lorenzo's going to show up out there as well with you uh, and check out that game. I unfortunately am not going to be there Friday night. I am going to head up on Saturday morning uh, just because work is not going to allow me to leave early enough to to kind of head over there for that game. Um, so but Jackson is going to try and and do what he can to get some uh, interviews and some photos and 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 see what he can do to kind of kind of get that up on the boards for you guys. Um but that being said, Jackson, I think you know we're we're gonna go ahead and wrap this one up. I mean, unless you got some other things that you want to talk about, yeah. Uh, just on the insider board, we've got a lot on there right now. Um, a lot of uh, interviews over last week. If you've missed them, uh, they're still very relevant, despite uh, the Minnesota game. The Minnesota questions were kind of a small part of interviewing the new players that, and you know, we're not allowed to interview them till they play. So you have guys like Romello Harris who have this great story about how they've transferred from. I mean, you talked to him uh, from from <laughs> Washington uh, from Tulare. He went to Washington State, came to Fresno State, and this now we can finally hear it firsthand yeah. what all they've been through, and it's pretty cool to hear about. A lot of them are local too. Um, so we talked to eight players that you probably don't know a whole lot about or have seen in the media and we talked to eight more of them today we just got back from practice so <laughs> ton of interviews if you want to hear from the bulldogs you'll see them all on the premium board yeah so jackson will be releasing those slowly as we go. <laughs> and uh i mean a lot of coverage of this week's game we're going to try and get in touch with the ucla site and get the inside scoop on what they're going to be bringing to the table um, if you missed it, I went out to uh, one of Centennial's games where uh, Colby Workentine, a defensive end over there, is going to be coming to Fresno State and got interviews, photo gallery, highlight videos. So <laughs> anything you want to know about that kid, you can see it on the insider board. You might have to look a little bit through the, the message board to find it, but it's on there. Um, I mean, yeah, we're covering it inside and out. Bulldog football, recruiting, and uh try and get some basketball in here during the bye week next week too now this week uh i'll be i'll probably instead of heading up uh for the game up in calabasas where jackson's gonna be i'll probably i'm gonna be sticking around and probably heading out to one of the other games locally uh right now uh probably depending upon what's going on it's gonna be a game where it's gonna have another fresno state recruit uh probably either gonna be tulare union or bakersfield christian depending on which one uh, I'm able to get to uh, easily, um, but there's two two players there. One is a commit from Tulare Union. The other one got an offer from Fresno State. So it depends on where I'm going to be at this week. I have not figured that out yet, but there will be more recruiting news <laughs> coming through the pipeline uh, as soon as I'm able to kind of figure that one out. Um, but we are we're doing what we can to make sure we get out to all the high school games and, and try to highlight some of those players who, who otherwise don't get the attention um, as local players. So not all, moving forward, I believe, Jackson, we're going to try to highlight some of these players that just because they don't have a Fresno State offer does not mean they don't deserve a story. Um, you know, and so we're going to start doing some of that once we start drying up on some of those players that have offers or interest from Fresno State, which there's still plenty. Uh, but once that starts happening, we're going to, you know, catch some of these other high school games and try to get you some more. Uh, I've seen a lot of those guys become the ones with Fresno State offers in a month or two after the stories come out. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> which is why, you know, I continue to do what I do because sometimes they stick out and you notice what's going on there. So, uh, but that being said, uh, you can follow Jackson uh, on Twitter. Uh, at, uh, here we go again. Jackson Moore two four seven. Yeah. Oh yeah. And uh, 
if you're interested in seeing a little bit of what I described about Minnesota, I've got quite a few pictures on my Twitter feed. You can see, uh, you may not want to relive some of those moments, but uh, you can see some of that that atmosphere I was talking about. And they find you at JacksonMore247, right? Correct. Yeah, yeah, go. So JacksonMore247 on Twitter. Uh, you can find him on our boards uh, under JacksonMore, of course. Uh, and make sure you follow our Facebook page. We are on our way to getting to 4,000 uh, followers on our Facebook page, getting closer and closer. So make sure you stop by that and like that as well. Uh, you can follow me on Twitter at Red Wave Report. And on the boards, uh, you can just look for my name, Lucio Arik, and I'm on there. And so if you guys have anything that you want to share with us, you can either reach us on the boards or send us a, a DM on Twitter or any way that you feel that you can try to get a hold of us. Just do so, and we will make sure that we get back to you. Uh, with that being said, I want to thank you all for joining us and tune back in again next week as we continue the ongoing coverage of Fresno State Athletics. Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.